You guys ready? You set? Almost. It's just good to have it because we're going to do a lot of Bible ping pong. Dave's got me on a clock. I usually teach for like 45 to 50, maybe sometimes an hour. So this will be a miracle if I get this done in 30 minutes. I want to leave room for my panel. I have a great panel tonight. All right. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. It says, Then God saw everything that he had made, and and indeed it was very good. I'm going to read that again. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And then flip over to chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I'll read that again. And the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us together as a church family to understand the family design, to understand how we as families can be missional and and take this mountain of influence. And Lord, the erosion of the family as of late. And so Lord, uh, you want to explain that to us. Lord, you want to encourage us in that. So I pray, Lord, that um, you would minister to every heart here. For some, family is extremely painful, and there brings memories, and for some, uh, brings the greatest joys. And so, Lord, in the, in the midst of all that, Lord, um, bring clarity. Uh, bring your word. Bring your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, as it, family can be painful, and, um, and, and great joys come of it. Um, I have a family, I have extended family, and I have a church family. And sometimes I feel closer to my church family than I do my extended family. Um, I love my immediate family. We're, we're all in this together. Um, but what we've seen is... Um, some erosion that's been happening. You've seen that, right? In the culture, just of the family, just how it's been attacked. The way erosion happens too is that, uh, for example, let's say a mountain, see there's that mountain. The way a mountain or anything gets eroded is by extreme circumstances. So a mountain will erode through extreme weather patterns. It'll, through rain, through floods, all that causes erosion, And we're going to see tonight um, how God speaks to all that and, 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 and our responsibility, our role. I want to speak to you young, what I call in the queue, in the incubator students that you're pre family. You're right at that stage where you're single and you're entering into this life. And you're wondering, hey, is this worth it? You know, and there's confusion happening uh, around this topic. 
I went into the prayer meeting and I said, hey guys, would you pray over this topic? It's a, there's some hot buttons. And they said, well, they're big hot buttons. And there are. And so um, for you guys, I want to speak to you. And if you have a family, I want to speak to you too as well, that it's not too late if something's gone awry. And for you singles, if you guys are single, I want to talk to you about there's some great things God has um, in his word about for you guys and, and you, how the critical role that you play. So, and, and then I want to share God's heart. I pray that God's heart would come across tonight, that his heart for the family um, would come forth. So many different kinds of families, right? Like you see the Italian families, the Greek families, you see the, you know, in our family, it's the Hawaiian families. We would always gather around music. Um, and our family, for some reason, the Hawaiians like to drink a lot. So it was drinking and like partying and, and music and ohana though. But ohana was everything in a Hawaiian family. It's like, you know, that's just what you did. And... Um, it, it, it's interesting to see, and, and the things that you go to, like the, the distances you travel to be with your family, right? On a holiday or a special day, you know? When your family's going through a tragedy, you know, you want to be there, you want to reach out, you know? Uh, you don't want to miss those good times when your family are gathering together. Family's very important. We, I think we build our culture around the family, and I think God designed it that way, and, and we'll see in his word how he, he, he looked at that and, and said that. Um, I had mentioned earlier to you singles, um, check this out. I, I just want to shout out to you how important the church family is. Jesus defined it this way uh, in Matthew 12. Uh, it says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Here's what Jesus said. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother, here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. So Jesus had a very clear picture of family and what it represents, and, and what it should be. And so we're going to look at that tonight. Um, there's three things I want us to look at. Cultivating a gospel family, God's design for family, and then the, fa- the modern family culture clash. So we'll look at those three things tonight um, as we get into the word. Let's look at the first one. Here we go. Cultivating a gospel family. To do that, you need to be missional, strategic, and intentional. And Pastor Rob would tell you uh, my role on staff here. Um, he gets to do the fun, crazy stuff. But I have to do the stuff like the planning and the strategic and all that. So I'm a very strategic guy. I'm like um, a guy that would, a, a colonel that would sit down in the war room and plan the battle plan. And, and that's kind of my style. So um, I want to look at that. So for you young peeps out there, I want you to think about, I'm going to plant some seeds in your head that you're going to be missional, strategic, and intentional 
as you're in your pre-family stage, and I hope to give you some, some thoughts on that. So um, turn to Psalm 127. We're going to start there. Psalm 127. Love this passage. This is so cool. Uh, this is, we don't know if it's David or Solomon who wrote this, but I'll tell you what I think. I think it was David having a sit-down conversation with his son Solomon, and then Solomon eventually penned this. Um, but it's cool. I think it's a neat thing um, to see a dad passing some good, wonderful wisdom onto his son. And I, I, I believe that's what happened here. And it says in verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Check out verse three. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Hey, dads, isn't that cool that we're called warriors? We have these arrows in the hand. And, and it says, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with their enemies in the gate. There's some cool um, little things I want to share out of that. This is important, you guys. Um, to build a family, you need the Lord. You cannot rely on your own strength, your own wisdom, your own power to, to build a family. And unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. He needs to do that. There, the success needs to be the Lord's, and he needs to build the house. Because it will only lead to frustration, to endless strife, and a false sense of comfort if you're building that house. I love verse 2. It says, In vain for you, for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for, he, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Meaning, man, you can work all day and toil morning and night and, and worry and, and be in constant worry. I remember when we were, me and Susie were, we didn't have any kids yet um, at the time, or we had Zach, he was two years old, he was a little rug rat running around. And Susie and I had, um, I think it was Sammy in the womb. And we were going, man, well, we got one kid, how are we gonna do two kids? And we worried, we worried about money, we worried about, all kinds of things. And you know what? The Lord worked it out. He worked it out. He, he's got this little promise, and for, he, for so he gives his beloved sleep. You know, he just gives, he takes those worries away. You know, and, and I hear this a lot from people like, oh man, I gotta save up money before I have kids. Um, I just rebuke that in Jesus' name. I, I say you just go for it. You, you do, and he, he'll take care of the rest, Zagan, Megan and Zach. 
He'll take care of it. You don't need to worry about that. But I love this, I love this warrior mentality that this psalmist, because David was a warrior, and I love this, and he says, behold, the ch- children are heritage from the Lord. He's like, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Check this out. You can see all these arrows. The, the cool thing about family, that family mountain right there, is that that family mountain influences all the other mountains. You're going to shoot your kids off. You yourself are being shot off into one of these areas of influence. Some of you will go into business. Some of you will go into arts and entertainment, education, religion, government, media. Here's my family. Okay, so Sammy, so Sammy every year does a family portrait. Um, so obviously Sammy's going to be launched into arts and entertainment, right? That's, that's the direction he's going into. Um, here's me. Here's uh, Megan right there. It's, and Zach and Malia and Sammy. And uh, we just have a new addition, Goku, who's one of our dogs. There's Tashi, our dog. And there's my wife. She's just catching it all in. Um, Malia's really excited. You can see her. But this is, uh, this is what family is. And uh, this was just, this past Thanksgiving, we went to Joshua Tree to hike. This is us normal. There, there we are. No cartoon effects. There's Tashi and Goku. The Lord loves pets. You'll, we'll cover that in, in creation. He loves dogs and loves all that. So that is good. Um, <clears throat> Training our kids to build gospel bridges is something that we strategically need to look at. Um, It talks about, it says, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And the gate is a place, it's that civic arena. It's that place where we we do commerce. Um, Our pastor is a city councilman. He's one of the guys that sits at the gate, you know, and he's going to stand there on behalf of families. You know, I love that Rob's there, you know, and he's going he's gonna to look at all the laws being passed in our city and, and say, is that good for a family? Does that line up with God's word? And I think we need to strategically train our children to look at that, to look at, hey, when we shoot them off to all these different areas, you know, are we able to stand at the gates? you know, and stand for the things of the Lord. And, um, you know, I, pr- I pray that we are. Uh, the other thing is that we need to be strategic. Uh, Joshua 20, 24, 25, uh, 24, 15 says this. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was uh, in a culture where they had Amorites. They had other people. They had not, they had taken over the territory of Canaan, but they didn't quite like root out everybody as God told them to. There were still, the enemies were still encamped and influenced uh, the nation of Israel. And it was really sad because their culture was being attacked. 
slowly. They got into comfort like, whoa, yeah, we conquered 75% of land. Isn't that good enough? But there were still enemies in the land. And I think um, strategically as a family, you got to look at that and go, you know, are there, are there enemies in my home? Are there enemies in our household that I need to be aware of, that I need to mark? And are they influencing my kids? Are they influencing my wife or my husband? Or what's happening around me? And, and take a look at that. And, jo- and Joshua puts a line in the sand and he says, no, for us, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to draw a distinct line in the sand and we're, we're going to push back the gates of hell and we're not going to let that happen. And he made, he made a stand for that. It's never too late. It's never too early to put together a spiritual battle plan for your family. For you pre-marrieds, connect with an older couple. That's a great thing. I'm going to have some couples up here tonight you can connect with. For newly marrieds, Zach Megan, preparing for children. Some of you... Um, may want to adopt. Some of you may want to foster parent. That's a plan. That's a strategic plan. If you're married with kids, life is crazy for you. You know, um, I see a lot of moms pulling their hair out. They're just stressed out. Hit the pause button. Hey, let's make a spiritual plan for our family. Uh, Teens, you're in that teenage. We're in the teens, right, honey? We got teenagers and they're, you know, Mach 5 hair on fire, these guys. And so, you know, you're, sometimes a, a, a parent feels like they're just surviving, you know, and we want to be thriving. And that's what you want to do. So you got to put a strategic plan together for your teenager. Like, okay, here's what, you know, let's regroup. Let's look at this. Um, empty nesters. You guys are not off the hook. <laughs> you, you're preparing for grandparent, uh, grandkids, right, honey? We're preparing for grandkids. Right? Zach and Megan? <laughs> I invited them here just to like preach to them. Single folks, as I mentioned earlier, um, you guys are critical to the church family. You have extended family that you can minister to. You guys are a critical um, part of, of, of this economy that God calls uh, family. You need to be intentional. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. I love this passage. This is a great passage. Pastor Marty loves this passage. This is called the Shema in Hebrew. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That's kind of weird. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, so the Jewish family, they were serious about God's word. They, they had it everywhere. They had it on the frontlets of their eyes. They had it on their doorposts. They had it everywhere. And they talked about it when they were sitting down, when they were lying down. You know, I um, was, and that's, they were being intentional. And to be intentional is, um, 
is a good thing. And there are some traditions and covenants that you do in your home that are intentional to bring forth spiritual fruit, to bring forth a way that your family can develop and grow in the Lord. Um, I know at, at the beginning, Susie is, calls us to prayer every single morning, right at our dining room table. She calls us to prayer and we pray it just two, three minutes. It's not long. She does a popcorn prayer and then me and the kids are out for the day. You know, she, that is a discipline that she has installed in our house. Just as lately, she put this devotional book on the, on the dining room table, same place where we pray. And nice little devotional book by John Corson. It's called Pillar by Day. And everyone signs the, the book every day. Like they read the devotional, they sign. That's a strategy. She's being intentional by putting the book there and having us sign off. You know, and you see who signed off and you see all the little comments like, whoa, or wow, that's cool. And so um, that is a strategy. When we were with my kids um, driving in the car, you know, um, we do what's called the SOAP, Scripture Observation Application Prayer. And, you know, I'll, we'll open up, we all have apps, Bible apps. We'll look up the verse of the day and we'll go through a SOAP. It takes like five minutes, you know, and I'll ask the kids and and hey, what does this mean? How does this apply to you? And then we pray about it, and we're done. And we do that every day. I remember uh, when Zach was just, you know, he was little, and we had a little longer drive to school, and I said, Zach, okay, we're going to open up the proverb of the day. And I, he'd read the whole chapter, and I, oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? And Zach would just go, well, I think it means this, Dad. And then he would talk about maybe a friend that, you know, he clashed with and said, oh, man, I can probably handle this better. And and so just getting your kids in the word and, and get investing in church life too. You know, we have so many opportunities in church to get involved in church. Uh, when I was in Santa Barbara, uh, I was the family pastor over there for years. And, and I'd have to drag my family to every family camp, every flam, family outing. We would do, you know, during Christmas, we'd get in these, we'd have like rent seven trolleys and go through Santa Barbara and look at all the lights and sing Christmas carols and and the poor family had to go through all that. It was, it was insane. But they loved it. I mean, it was part of, the, it was part of their culture. And, and, so, and, and that's intentional stuff. And I want to encourage you guys to do that. And for the next thing I want to look at is um, for you pre-marrieds, I'm gonna, I want to look at a passage. Go to Genesis uh, chapter 1, 26 through 27. I'm going to fly through this. Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 27, and then put your finger in Genesis 2, 18 through 21. Okay, we're going to fly through this. Uh, Then God said, let us make man in our image. We get the first glimpse of the Trinity there. It says, let us make man in our image. That's pretty cool. We see the Trinity there. According to our likeness, let them have dominion, dominion. This is the first time I see uh, the first form of government that God provided. That's pretty cool. Over the fish, over the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle. I just look at quail, Chilean sea bass, and Kobe beef right there. Adam had it all. He had all the delicacies over all the earth and over every creeping thing. I want to make a t-shirt. I want Mark Lesney to make a t-shirt saying, I rule over creepy things. Right? When you guys were kids, did you guys, well, boys, guys, did you guys, like, deal with creepy things? Did you, like, play with frogs and, like... 
did you salamanders and like put the ants in a cup and then put a spider in there and watch them war? I did that. It was so cool. God knew that. He does. He like, look at that. It's in, it's in Genesis chapter one. He wants us to rule over the creepy things. <laughs> so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Male is very clear there. Uh, God's design for family. Number one, that we bear his image, that we're his image bearers. God is all about his glory. God is about his image. And, and we, we portray that. Number two, to govern and rule over creation. God establishes government to protect families. Okay? Government is important. The, especially the right government. And a government that follows God's mandates and commandments. That's important. Number three, we share in creation. He says, be fruitful and multiply. That tells me that I need to, before the Lord, I need to have a fruitful life. That my life needs to bear fruit. And then I need to help populate the earth, Zach and Megan, with children. (laughs) Having children is so good. Skip to uh, chapter 2. We're going to crank through this. Chapter 2, verse 18. And then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Right? We read that earlier. I will make him a helper comparable to him. I'm going to speak to you students. Check this out. God recognized, especially I'm going to speak to Caleb right there. God recognized Adam's need before Adam knew he had a need. He does that with you and me and Caleb, right? God's going to point out our needs. Hey, he knows, you know, don't need to get anxious about a wife or a husband. Look at, uh, look at the next verse. Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature... That was its name. So God gives Adam a task of naming the animals to give Adam an awareness of his need. Isn't that cool? Because they're all paired off like the animals and they each got mates and poor Adam just like naming like, God, is there one you're going to out of the ground for me? (laughs) You know, he's like sitting there. Verse 21, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, ouch, and closed up the flesh in its place. God did a little surgery there, and this is cool. Men, pay attention. Young men, unmarried men, pay attention. Number three, go to sleep. Go to sleep. Don't try to make it happen. Can you imagine if Adam went on a little single search, right? Come back with a chimpanzee or a monkey or something. Young men, no monkey business. You're going to go bananas. 
go to sleep. Number three. Number 20, uh, verse 22, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. That is cool. And he brought her to the man. Number four, young men and women, let God make it happen. Let God make it happen. Um, my beautiful bombshell of a, of a wife, I remember when God brought her to me, I was surfing in a in Ventura County somewhere. Um, I think it was Oil Pier's Beach. There used to be an oil pier out there, and it's gone now, but um, it messed up the surf. I don't go surf there anymore because it just messed it up. But anyways, I found my bride there. I was just out surfing, doing my own thing. I'm not looking for anything. And then I literally take off on a wave, and I'm coming in, and I see this bombshell of a, this beautiful woman with hair down to her waist, in this white bikini, and I'm like, whoa, and really tan and beautiful. (laughs) And I just like, my heart stopped, and I'm like, oy vey, that's my wife. (laughs) And and I was shy back then, and my friend, uh, Kenny, and she was with a friend, and he walks over, and I'm like, oh, man, she's too beautiful for me to go over. And... And we strike up a conversation, and conversation happens, and then Kenny's inviting them to Santa Barbara, and and one thing leads to the next, and we end up years later getting married, and there's my wife, and and I love her, and she's my high school sweetheart too. So it was a good story. So God brought her to me. I didn't have to go find her. So don't make it happen. Here's the other thing, guys and gals. We're made in God's image, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We got that Trinity thing going. And God has made us body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. So the body relates to the physical stuff, that romantic spark, you know, that you have. You look across that, oh, she's beautiful. Like I had out surfing, I was like, wow, beautiful. You know, uh, the soul is the mind, the intellect, the emotions. That relates to people. Your soulmate, you know, you've heard that term soulmate, where you're relatable to people. And then the spirit is the deepest part of us. Our spirit. It's where we have spiritual unity. It's, it's, It's the part of us that relates to God. And that, and that we have, and, th- and that's why we sometimes have a l- greater love for God than we do for our spouse or for our family because of that, of that unity. And, you know, compared to animals, like Tashi, you saw Tashi. Tashi doesn't call the prayer meeting, right? We do. Uh, Tashi doesn't have a spirit, but she has a soul, you know? She'll, she'll gather with us at the prayer meeting. She's just like, she's like she, can, she can relate to people, but she can't relate to the spirit. And, um, and I'm not sure how God works that, works that all out, but he does. But now, check this out. One of three of those, if you just find one of the three, and you're like, okay, we're doing this, most likely that's gonna, you're gonna go into divorce, or it's just going to be extremely, extremely rough. Two of three, it's just a hard road. 
And so three of three is actually optimal. You want to be able to, when you find your, when you're looking for your soulmate, when you're looking for the one that you want to marry, you want to make sure that, number one, that there's a physical attraction. Number two, that you can have a great conversation. They're your friends. You know, there's, there's this human connection. And number three, that you guys share spiritual. You're on the same wavelength spiritually. Does that make sense? That all three of those should be happening, should be firing. And you guys should be excited about that. And so that's that. We're going to bounce real quick to uh, Ephesians 5.22. And hopefully try to land the plane here. Uh, go to Ephesians 5, verse 22. Now we're going to look at, I'm going to shift from you pre-marrieds to you married couples out there. And you pre-marrieds, pay attention because this is important for you too, that you can be taking notes and strategizing. Um, Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. See how Paul mixes these two ideas of husband and wife? Savior, Jesus, the head of the church. So he, he compares this, um, he's got this wonderful picture, and then it says, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. This is really good. Wives, very simply, and soon-to-be wives, um, you're going to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It's that simple. It, it's, it's that easy. You know? And husbands, you're going to love your wives into submission. You're going to love them as Christ loved the church. How much does Christ love the church? He died for it, right? He laid his life down. This is gospel marriage 101. So husbands, you're going to live, as you dwell with your wives, as you live with them, you're going to live with them in a sacrificial way, that you're going to give them um, your life. Adam gave a bone, right? But Jesus gave his whole body. And that's how we should be living. Jesus gave it all. And that's what... We don't want to be like Adam and give our wives, toss our wives a bone. We want to be like Jesus and, and, be, and give our wives the whole thing. All of us. And that's important. So love your wives without conditions. And wives, submit. When, when the, submit's a good word. Don't get freaked out by that word. In the, in the protection of God, God protects his children through this hierarchy so you have this beautiful umbrella, and then you have the husband right underneath that, just underneath God. He's submitting to God, and then you have the wife submitting to the husband. She's under this umbrella protection, and then the kids are submitting to both. And who has the most protection? The kids, right? And so if you're a wife and you're like, oh, I don't want to submit to my husband, you come out of that umbrella protection, then God's like, whoa, you're on your own. What's, it, what's going on? Come back into that protection. So think of submission as protection. And, and husbands, love your wives into that submission. The way I love my wife in submission is that she loves Starbucks grande coffee frappuccino with coconut milk. 
So if I go get her a grande coffee, she, that's my flowers to her, my love language to her. And she'll submit to anything. She's just, she's great that way. That's a very simple thing. That's just an example of one little thing. All right, let's look at this. Let's look at, um, oh, check this out. And then Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Verse 23, she shall be called woman because he was taken out of man. Isn't that a beautiful song that Adam writes to his wife? Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And so we see that. All right, let's look at the next thing. We have the modern family culture clash. Um, I'm going to attempt to do this very quickly. Guys, um, Satan is working overtime on trying to destroy the family. It is sad. It is, it is, it is crazy. Turn to uh, Genesis chapter 3. I want to read this to you. Now the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? There's the first. Satan's already starting to question God. And the woman said to the serpent, She knows her Bible, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Isn't that weird? She adds to the word of God, because in verse 18, God only told Adam, and he tells Adam, the husband, um, excuse me, in verse uh, 16, you may freely eat, in verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in that day you, you will die. So, Adam gets, just say, don't eat of it. But she adds to the word of God and says, well, don't touch it or eat. I wonder where she got that idea. Like if I was the husband, he's probably overprotective, said, Eve, you better not even touch that tree. Do you guys do that in your marriages? Right? Don't even go there. Don't touch it. And don't eat it. I'm sure Adam told her that. And so what does she do? She goes and touches it, right? And then what happens? She doesn't die, right? She's all, oh, okay, well then let me take the next step. And she eats. And guess what happens? She doesn't die. And that's how sin works. That's how Satan tempts us. And this lie has been from the beginning of time. And it has crushed families um, it, it has caused an erosion of the, of, it's caused a culture clash. Divorce, abortion, same-sex marriage, adultery. These are the things that have crushed our culture, you guys. And we do not want to believe the lie. Did God really say? And this is what happens. Did, did God really say, and, and I have this picture of Jesus just weeping and just sad. And I think that's the heart of God. And I know some of you are, are just steaming mad that I am even bringing this up. But I'm, I'm telling you, I love you guys, and I do not want you to get caught in the same lie that Eve did. Because there is a lie out there that we've bought hook, line, and sinker. especially for abortion, that it's 
women's health. It's not about women's health. Satan knows that. He, he's going to question that all day long. It's about life. It's about what God has put. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That's very clear. That divorce, how that breaks up a family, how that, and, and I know a lot of um, families have been crushed by divorce and hurt. Adultery, you know, this is really slick, this guy holding this girl's hand. Um, that's where it starts, you know, in this slide. Did God really say that you should only be with your wife, right? Love is love. Sounds good, right? I'm going to say this. Love in submission to truth is real love. Remember that. Love in submission to truth is real love. I'll give you an example. Let's say a 40-year-old man loves a 12-year-old boy. Is that where we're going? Is, is love is love, right? It's sick to think of that, right? But it's, I never thought we would get to this place. I never thought that. We had fault divorce in California in 1970. No fault divorce. 1970 came to California. And by 1983 and 2010, all the states adopted no fault divorce. Abortion. U.S. Supreme Court, Roe versus Wade decision, 1973. I felt like the women got ripped off there. Lied to again. Same-sex marriage, ruled by Supreme Court, June 26, 2015. Another lie. Yeah, Rosario Butterfield. This lady, she, amazing. Um, her pastor, or a pastor at the time, um, she was an ex-lesbian, um, and her pastor's name was Ken Smith. And Ken Smith came into her life and just, and just like engaged in, in her life and, and met her where she was at and loved on her. He built what's called the gospel bridge. You know, and I think Christians have really taken a wrong direction with same-sex marriage where we've become militant and we've become weird and we signs and the whole bit. And um, our pastor is great at this. He, I, I've seen him build bridges to the most radical, extreme things I've ever seen. And, and it really serves us well um, to do that. I know Malia, my daughter, has friends that are in that community. And you know what? She's just, she's just standing there. She knows, she knows what's right and wrong. She knows where she stands in the gospel. She knows where, Lord, but, um, you know, God's knocking on her heart saying, Malia, I'm here for the sick. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm here for the sick. Hang in there with them. I will never leave you or forsake you, and I'm, I'm here for them. And, and so there's, there's got to be this place where we as Christians, when we have this erosion happening on this family mountain and this big clash on divorce, abortion, same-sex marriage, where we got to stand and we can't put our hand to that and be the ugly Christian and say, I don't want anything to do with you. We need to engage in that. We need to have these gospel conversations. This is the new, this is where we're at with family. 
and and it it's important. It's an important place to be. I'm as the slides back up. I want to share one more thing with you. Matthew seven twenty four twenty seven. We'll close here. Therefore. Whoever, okay, so Jesus is preaching on the Sermon of the Mount, and this is his final closing point, his final sermon point. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, I will liken him to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and it says, and great was its fall. And just to tell you guys, um, the storms are gonna hit this mountain so hard and we need to be standing on the rock of Jesus, on his word, on the sayings of Jesus, that you guys, that you would stand and not be shaken because the storms are gonna wanna erode that mountain and wanna crush your house And if your faith is on sand, you're going to get easily swept away. You want to be able to stand on the rock like this gal, Rosario Butterfield, who said, you know what? This makes sense. And she converted. She was an ex-lesbian, and she converted to Christianity. And now she's married. She has kids, and she's flourishing. Um, If you guys go to Right Now Media, you can watch it. It's called Gospel Bridge. And check it out. And it's, a, it's an amazing story. But I think, it, you know, just to wrap this all up, and we're going to have our panel come up. If you guys want to come up, my panel, Molly and Micah, Zach and Megan, Bob and Tammy Schuett, um, we're going to take questions and take your questions and, and, um, and do a panel. But I, I do want to say this, that as we tackle this mountain as we look at this mountain, begin to prepare, okay? Be intentional, be gospel-minded about how you're going to do this because it's intentional. If we, if we just start Bible-thumping, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna lose any influence we have on this mountain. We need to be engaged in their lives. We need to, we need to have Jesus knocking on our hearts saying, I love them, go after them, pursue them right? They're sick. They need a, they need a, they need a doctor. Amen. Okay, cool. I'm going to introduce these guys. Love these, love all these couples here. I'm going to slide this back here so everyone can see you guys. All right. Well, on the right here, we have Molly and Micah Stevens. And then we have Bob. Clap. Love these guys. Bob and Tammy Shewitt. And Zach and Megan Schellebarger. Um, I did Molly and Micah's premarital counseling. I got to watch the evolution of their premarital, how they interacted with, um, hold that, Zach how they interacted with one another during that pre-marriage stage. So you pre-married, you pre, you cup, you young people who are in the queue, ask them lots of questions. Um, but it was wonderful. It was just, I got to see the gospel life lived out. And I, just watching Micah court Molly was um, incredible. It was like watching Jesus court his church. 
amazing. Bob and Tammy Shewitt, incredible couple. I've got to see them. I've known them for probably seven years and been watching their kids grow in the Lord. Uh, Dane and Sam and, and Darby and how they raised their kids, how they grounded, how they infused their home with the word of God um, so that their house would not fall. You know, the, it, was, it was something incredible. And then watching Zach and Megan, I, I haven't been able to watch their marriage um, like I have these two couples because they moved to Carpinteria. But I got to watch the pre-marriage state and there were some really cool intentional things that they did um, I think on Thursday nights, they did these, like, come to get real sessions with each other and, you know, and just dug in. So we'll have them talk on that. But um, so I'm going to I'm going to open it up. I'm going to start with Mo- Molly and Micah. Um, how many. Tell us a little bit about your journey, just going through that pre-marriage stage and for sure. And did anything resonate that? from the, the talk. Yeah. All of it. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. First, before I start, if anyone has any questions uh, that you, you want to ask any of us, including Brett, then you can go ahead and text that number up there. Um, is that oh, going to yeah. go to my phone? Yeah. Okay. You'll need that. <laughs> I'm going to have my wife come up and bring my phone. <laughs> Clap for my wife. Woo! She has to live with me. <laughs> Um, yeah, my, (laughs) I guess, uh, my journey, um, our journey through now being married almost four years and a two and a half year old and one on the way due June 11th. Um, yeah, yeah. that's exciting. Yeah, I got, I got, I was saved, uh, late in my junior year in high school. And right after that, I, um, I, I was attending this church before I was saved, and um, David Glaze uh, was the youth pastor here, and he kind of called me out. He's like, hey, dude, you should be like one of my like my key leaders in the youth group right now. Like, what are you doing with your life? And I was like, oh, that's a pretty loaded question. And so that kind of got wheels spinning, and long story short, um, I was saved, um, and and the first thing I did was I went to a winter camp. I went, I went to a high school winter camp, and it was just the coolest thing how everything lined up. And so Dave, I drove with David Glaze, and it was so cool. We went to Chick-fil-A. First time I had Chick-fil-A, it was just like <laughs> overall just an amazing experience. That's always stuck with me. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, so, so I'm, at the, I'm at this winter camp, and I'd met Molly kind of maybe had seen her, maybe said hi to her, but I hadn't really met her. And we were, um, we were all just hanging out. It was a, a, just a camp in Santa Barbara. And we were sitting, Molly was sitting on a bench, bench and it looked like she was like coloring or something. And, and me and some friends kind of walk over and we, we sit down and, and she's, she has like, a, like an old, like just a dilapidated stick in her hand. And she's drawing on the table like it's just like an old bench. And I'm just, I'm just kind of looking like, what is she doing? She's drawing a flower. And she just, and, and this is when I knew, this is when I knew for sure. She, she's drawing and, and it's like kind of like falling apart and she just goes, it looks like poop. And I was like, yeah, like for sure. It looks like poop. Anyway, so that's like, (laughs) that's like my first like memory of Molly. And, and from that, I'm not even joking from that moment on, 
we were like best friends. And so we, we hung out at, the, at that winter camp. We hung out after that. Um, we were friends for a year and, and I knew I liked her. I didn't know if she liked me or not. I just knew that she was really cool, but I had just come out of a terrible relationship in high school and I really didn't want, um, as, as Brett was saying, I, I didn't want it to be, um, my will. Uh, I wanted it to be God's will. And I just remember constantly praying like, Lord, I don't, and she's cool, but I don't, I don't care. I just want to worship you. And so as I was seeking Jesus, um, and she was seeking Jesus, it's crazy. It, it turns out like solid Christian girls really like, like guys that are seeking Jesus. It's weird. And so like, as we we're both seeking Jesus together, it was just like, oh, like we, I really like her. And so, um, so I told her I liked her, but like it was a year, a year went by that we, that we were just friends. We we're just best friends. And a year went by and I, I figured, you know, I'm going to tell her I like her. So long story short, I told her I liked her, but like, it was like a proposal. It was weird. It was like, I like you. Like we haven't even talked about this yet, but the only reason I'm telling you this is because I feel like you're a girl that I want to marry. Like, I don't want to just date you because I want to have a, a friend that's a little bit more than a friend. Like, that's not the point. Why would we do that? And so she's like, yeah, like, I like you too. And I was like, okay, sweet. And so that kind of started the progression. And then we were engaged um, for a year, which was way too long. Yeah, exactly. Way too long. And then, uh, <laughs> and then we got married for more than a year. So it was, we we're friends, <laughs> friends for a year, dated for a year, engaged for a year. Um, and we're married for four years now. And so yeah, I agree, Mike, that was way too long. Oh yeah. Yeah. We shouldn't have dated for a year and we shouldn't have been engaged for a year. Yeah. It should have been like, Hey, I like you. Cool. Let's get married tomorrow. Yes. Uh, pass the microphone <laughs> over to Bob and Tammy. They can just introduce yourself, just a little something about each of you. And Well, um, we didn't have the, the same sort of Christian background that some of you did. Um, but we came to it, we were very uh, fortunate, very blessed, and the Lord taught us a lot. We've been married almost 29 years um, this August, and I think we're about to talk about our kids, and there really isn't a secret except for um, it's the Lord. Brett showed uh, Deuteronomy 6 on the board, and if you want a blueprint, that's it. And it takes diligence. It takes your time. You need to fill their minds, fill their hearts, and fill their time. And you do it all through the Bible. And that's what we did. We, we finally figured it out. The Lord showed my wife first. Um, I'm came, I came to the party a little bit late. But everything was centered on Scripture. All of our time was in Scripture. I always tell the story, I even tell this in our, in our um, men's studies that I'm teaching, is that our kids are going to get the Word every day whether they liked it or not. And... Literally, Tammy would, when they were able to drive now and go their own way, she would chase them out the door, Bible open, finishing the scripture, she was going to tell them whether they wanted to hear it or not. And it was dedication and diligence, and if you bring the family together in the Bible, father and our mom and dad first, bring the kids in with you, um, that's really the best foundation you can give them, because then you're doing it as a family. And you have um, a blueprint, you have um, a contract that you all agree with, you agree with authority of God's word, and then there's no question, here's what it says. And then your kids can't argue, because they agree with it too. Here's the way we need to live, because the Bible says so. 
they have to agree because we've already talked taught them and we've all agreed as a family that this is God's word, this is our authority, these are the absolutes that we live by. Now, we're not, I'm not, I'll just say I'm not a perfect dad. Um, we're not perfect parents. We didn't have perfect kids. But if we made a mistake, they always found us going to the Bible for the answer. They always found us repentant. We asked our kids for forgiveness many times. And it's that kind of, you need to be open and um, refer to the scripture. Um, and I just said to the guys in our Bible study, sometimes we say, well, <clears throat> I don't know the Bible that well. Why not? Um, I'm not a, I'm not expert in the Bible. Why aren't you? There is no reason. There is no excuse. And if you want to raise kids that are going to be solid, and if you want to raise kids that are going to um, love the Lord completely, then you better be an expert on who the Lord is, so that they're an expert on who the Lord is. Yeah. Amen. Good word. Um. We're uh, we're on our ninth month of marriage. Yeah, and uh, everyone knows Zach, right? Um, I always get referred to as, "Oh, that's Zach's dad." <laughs> I spent my whole childhood as Brett's son, so yeah, payback. So. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're we're on our ninth marriage, ready to. We're, we've actually uh, ninth yeah. marriage. Um, we're on our ninth month of marriage. <laughs> Uh, and ready to write a book and, um, no, no, uh, mine and Megan's story is, you know, we, we crossed paths, you know, through a mutual friend and, you know, we didn't have a year of being friends like, you know, Micah and Molly had. Um, and, and so in the beginning stages of when we knew we liked each other, which, you know, we didn't have this rich history of, you know, friendship, um, but, you know, so we were really intentional, you know, when we were dating one another to, uh, to really know one another. So, you know, we, we talk about, uh, you know, the church loves to talk about sexual purity, physical purity. Um, but we really strove for emotional purity and spiritual purity as well in the sense that, you know, we were very intentional with one another on the process of getting to know one another and uh, exposing ourselves in, in increments so that we knew who each other were, not right off the bat saying, oh, we're going to marry you, because we, we didn't know each other for a year before. Um, and so we, you know, we know nothing about marriage, nothing, nothing. You know, we're, um, you know, but we, we believe we did dating pretty well. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, we're here, you know, in one piece. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess... Uh, so- yeah, and, and a little backstory, you know, I, I being a, one of the pastors here for a, wa- a while, and Megan was a, uh, a pastor's kid, yeah. and um, just dealing, you know, we were really able to relate on the level of we knew the blessings that the church brought, but we also really bonded over, we also knew how messy the church was, mm-hmm. um, and able to navigate through that, and so that's one way we've bonded as well. So. Good. Thank you, Zach. Um, one of the questions came in, I'll... Whoever wants to tackle this one, how would you recommend dating? Excuse me. How would you recommend for dating couples to tackle a joint Bible study? Yeah. 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 A date. I guess what they're trying to say is, what's your recommendation for a couple that is dating? Uh, should they tackle a joint Bible study? Uh, should they? <laughs> it's a good idea. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. I mean, 
Um, a joint Bible study, meaning yeah. like two, like they're both in the same Bible study. Is yeah. that like the crux of the question? Well, studying the Bible together. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Is that the? Qu- I hope I got the question right. Don't expose. How, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> how would you recommend dating couples tackle joint Bible studies? Gosh, what a terrible question. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, I'll interpret it as a joint, like you guys are together doing a Bible study, whether it's with people or not. Um, I mean, Tammy leaned over and she said, why why not? Um, I think that you should be above reproach and like, it's probably not really a Bible study if you're like alone in like a dim lit room and it's like you guys, that's like a bad idea (laughs) in general because you'll probably never actually open the Bible. But um, in like a... A legit setting, um, if you're reading the Bible, I will never say that that's a bad thing. So. Amen. Okay, good. <laughs> good answer. Uh, Zach and Megan, I'm going to have you answer this one. Um, or, uh, yeah. Do you believe that everyone has the one waiting for them somewhere? The one waiting for... You want to say it again? Yeah. Do you believe that everyone has the one... Waiting for them somewhere. <laughs> you want to? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm actually, you know, Meg and I are pretty unified on this, I believe. So I'll, I'll let you answer after me. But um, there is a one out there for you. And so what, what I mean by that is that um, let's say Sally and there's Sally and Jerry and Sally um, is supposed to marry Jerry, but instead she marries Tom and Tom was supposed to marry Susie. And so all of a sudden, you've messed up the entire relational universe, right? Because, because who Susie was supposed to marry was Gary, and Gary didn't get to marry Susie because she... You know, you know what I mean? Does, does that make sense, right? Um, so, so there is a one for you that God has for you. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but um, yeah, the, I, 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 guess, I guess that's, that's what I, I, want, I want to make sure is clear, that um, I think uh, whoever you marry is the one. Does that make sense? Whoever you marry is your soulmate. Whoever you marry is the one. So it's it's not that um, you need to kind of get a line of women or men around and just kind of like pray and just see which Holy Spirit heat is you know coming you know in a minute. Um, You'll be miserable. You'll be miserable. So yeah. Yeah, you pretty much said exactly what I was going to say in terms of there isn't the one until you get married, then they become the one. Um, Good answer. At least for me, I believe that God didn't necessarily create one person for you because like Zach said, if that person finds somebody else, then everything gets messed up. But once you get married, that person is the one. And you don't need to ask that question of, did I marry the one? It's yes, you did. Yeah. There's not really any other option. Yeah, exactly, because... You know, if if you have hard times in your marriage, then you'd be like, whoa, maybe they're not the one, you know? <laughs> right. I, I messed up. I didn't marry the one, right? So, <laughs> right. yeah, the one that you married. Okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah. You will have hard times in your marriage. <laughs> and, yes, they are the one. But what I wanted to say is what um, Pastor Brett said, wait and let the Lord bring the one to you. Yeah. Okay, hold the microphone. This, is, this question is for you and Bob. What do you want to say to the young couples who are having premarital sex? I'm not up here. 
I love stumbling the panel. They're just questions. So what do I say to my kids when they um, are in error of Scripture? (laughs) So I would say the same thing. Um, I love you enough to tell you what the Word of God says and to protect you. So you're in God's line of blessing when you're walking in the Spirit, when you're obeying His Word. You're stepping out of that. You're choosing this day who you will serve. So are you, do you want to choose to walk in the flesh or are you choosing to walk in? I'm sorry, choosing to walk in the spirit or are you choosing to walk in the flesh? That can only bring curse. Not that God puts a curse on you, but you're choosing that way. And that's not the way of blessing. God just wants to pour out so much blessing on you. Deuteronomy 28, he, you cannot contain the amount of blessing he wants to pour out on you. When you obey his voice diligently, seek what it says in the word, obey his voice, and he will pour out so much blessing. When you've made error, just go back to him. It's always repentance toward God and faith in Jesus, believing what his word says, and he will redeem any situation, any situation, any situation. Good word, Tammy. Perfect. Okay, this could be to any three of you, you guys got to ask. Is there a specific scripture that you or your significant other go to when you are having struggles in your marriage? You want to tackle that one, Micah? Uh, sure. I mean, just personally, um, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Wonderful. In this life, I live now in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's, I mean, what else do you really need? Um, it's not, it's not me who's living, it's uh, Christ who's living in me. And so as we, we um, strive through and um, we're experiencing this marriage, um, that's one of the most important things to remember, just that it's not about what I want, it's not about what you want, um, it's not me who's even living anymore, literally. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who's living in me. And so what does Christ do? He loves his church. And so we look to the word and see um, the specifics of what that, specifics of what that looks like. Um, so that's, that's scripture that I continually am going to through marriage and through my life. Excellent scripture. Perfect. Okay, I just one, want to add real quick ahead, because I, I think it's 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 so important because and I'm only passionate about it because I I figured it out late. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great to have individual scriptures, but just remember that it's most important to with your spouse to read the Bible together and take time. If you have favorite scriptures, I think that's great. Those those guiding principles. But the thing that we've found, and this isn't because we have um, so much wisdom and, and, well, we have a lot of years, but not necessarily wisdom, at least I do, um, is that as you're in Scripture together, the Lord's going to speak to you wherever you are. And we're amazed every day. She reads a different part of the Bible. We have different ways that we, that we study the Bible. Um, we get up every morning at 6 o'clock. If I'm at work, I call her at 6.30. If we're at home, we read the Bible at 6.30. Every single day, if I'm gone... On a hunting trip, if she's somewhere, we make sure we make that connection every single day, diligent about it. And what we found is wherever you are in Scripture, the Lord's going to speak to you. He is. And it's, it's, and it's hard to understand because seriously, Leviticus, seriously, Joel, seriously, Philemon. I mean, and the answer is yes. 
He's going to speak to you wherever you are, but spend the time and spend the time together. And what I'm reading, 99% of the time, she'll tell me what her Bible is, and it, it multiplies the impact of that scripture because we've done it together, even though we've done several scriptures, and the Lord will speak, and he will teach you, yeah. and he will guide you. Whatever the question is, marriage, children, premarital sex, whatever subject you want to throw at the Bible, that's where the truth is. The Bible is not afraid. The Lord is not afraid of any question you have. It's not going to back down to any challenge you bring. It's all in there. Read it, learn it, spend time it together. I have a verse. First Thessalonians 5.17. Paul says to pray without ceasing. That's how me and Susie um, battle our struggles. We just pray. Okay, we're going to pray. We're going to just get on our knees and pray. First Thessalonians 5.17. I think it's the greatest weapon against it because what you can do is you can put the pause button on whatever storm or struggle or whatever. You just hit the pause button and then you step out of the storm and go, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me help. You know, help me with this. And so I think that's super critical, super important. I think just to add one more thing to answer the question honestly is that I don't think we have like, hey, what is our as a couple, our favorite verse. And so thank you for the question because that's inspiring to do. Like she, I have Bible verses, like you're saying, everyone memorizes Bible verses and has their favorite Bible verse, but I've never said, Molly, what is our favorite Bible verse together? So thank you. Yeah, that's good. All right, here's another question. Um, what advice What advice do you have to someone who is dating a non-believer? Anyone want to tackle that one? Zach's going to tackle that one. Um, it's really hard. I've done it, um, and I and I I think the the goal of every believer who's dating a non-believer is I want to get them to be a believer, and I did that. I I, I led her to the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. And what ended up happening was an unhealthy um, clinging on to where they know no faith or concept of Christianity aside from you or concept of Christ aside from you. Um, That's really unhealthy uh, because you become the Savior, not Jesus. And if you're dating a non-believer, you're continually their Savior, not Jesus. Um, and it's really easy for you to think, oh, if I just stick with them, if I just stick with them, they'll come to the Lord. Maybe they will, um, but it's still unhealthy. Uh, marriage is different. You know, there's, there's prescriptions in, in, in Scripture for that. Uh, dating, though, you're not married. Um, and just keep that in mind. I know it's really sensitive, and there's nuances yeah. and stuff. I don't know yeah. if any of you want to tackle it, but it, it's super sensitive. Yeah. And, you guys want to add anything? Also, I'm not the person you, he was talking about. No, no. Just <laughs> Clear that up. Clear that up. <laughs> That's really darling. Um, it is very important, again, for blessing to obey what the scripture says. You know what God's voice is telling you to do. He will answer you. So if you're disobeying, you have to repent. You have to ask the Lord to help you and let that person come to the Lord and then let the Lord work that situation out. But you have to listen to what God's voice is telling you. 
All right, this one is directly to me. So, which is do not be unequally yoked. Yeah, I'm gonna ho- try to answer this, um, and probably this will be the last question. I might take. Actually, before I answer that, um, anyone want to from the audience have a question? No. Long term relationships. Okay, I'm gonna answer that in this this question too because um, when do when do you marry and you believe it is it is the one and 20 years later leads to divorce maybe deception what is your impact on this or opinion instead of impact um so this is this is where you've you're like oh they're the one i married them um, and then 20 years later, um, it ends up in divorce. Um, I go to that scripture where it says, what God has joined, let no man separate. And I'm a believer in, if you're having marital struggles, especially for 20 years, um, you need to work it out. You need to stick in there. You, you, you can't just abandon the ship. You can't just, and I, as Rob said, I was in that boat. I was divorced. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't walking with the Lord. I was far from the Lord. And um, look, here's a good thing. Both my first wife and I, she's a believer now, and her whole family's believers, and you know, we started a new family and we're believers and that's just God's grace over the whole mess, you know? So don't forget about God's grace because he'll just, it can get messy, but God's grace covers everything and his love. And I meant to say that when I was uh, teaching was one thing that we instilled in our children when we were teaching them, we had two themes in our house that we just drove into them. One was just the love of God, that they would know the love of God and that they would be able to give out the love of God. That was an important staple in our family. The other one was grace, that we would receive grace and we would extend grace as a family. And I remember, you know, I remember that when the kids would fight, you know, especially Sam and Malia, and you know, Sam would just go, Malia, you're not showing me grace. Because he knew the concept of it. Like they could use it against each other. It was just funny. But they knew it, but they knew that that was part of our home and that needed to happen. So if you've been in a marriage, if you're in a marriage, and, and I do a lot of counseling, I do a lot of marriage counseling, family counseling, and, and I just, I take the couple and I say, and I tell them, I go, it's not about you especially if they're a Christian couple, it's not about you. When Susie and I are walking down the street, holding hands, what the entire world should see is Jesus, the husband, loving the wife, the church, period. That's the gospel message. And whatever you need to do in your marriage to to come to that place of saying, we're going to live the gospel you know, we're not going to live this marriage for ourselves, but we're going to live it for Jesus, 
who's the lover of our soul that has given us eternal life, you know, I, I can, can you, do you know the riches that he's given us? Why would you not live out the gospel before the world and say, Jesus loves the church and the church responds and loves Jesus back? We have an entire Bible to figure that out and to change the hearts. And, and what tells me in a 20-year marriage that one spouse or the other or both are not transforming or changing. I remember sitting down with a guy uh, in my office and the wife was in tears and he's just like, you know, and he supposedly was a Christian and he's like, well, she knew I was like this when we got married. And I go, well, obviously you don't believe in the transformation of the gospel because you're supposed to change. And so is she. And that's the, that's the beauty of marriage, is that you, that's the beauty of being a Christian, is that we transform and change. You should be so different. I'm going to speak to you young guys, you young kids. As you enter in marriage, as you enter into that marriage, as you go 5, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, you should be way different. You should. You shouldn't be the same guy or girl. God has got to transform us and change us. That is the Christian life. That's the life that, that we said, yeah, Lord, I'm here, send me. And so if there's any, just work it out. Work it out. I'm Bob and Tammy, 30 years. And I've, I've walked with them through some struggles. And, and they, you know, they're, they're standing on the rock of Jesus. And they're like, you know, bring the storms. Come on, bring it. We have Jesus. And they will walk through any issue because, because they're found on the rock. And, and me and Susie made a covenant together. And I, I told Susie, I said, you know what? I'm going to love Jesus more than I'm going to love you. And if I do that as a husband, that is only going to bless her. And she loves Jesus more than she loves me. That's our covenant we made. You just got to have that mentality. And, and, and couples that want to split and go their own part are selfish. They just want to do their own thing because they're not willing to change. They're not willing to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. They're not willing to step out and say and repent and do all those good things that we're to do as Christians, they're not willing to do that. And it's, it's frustrating sitting with um, a wife who is growing in the Lord and the husband is just stagnant because he's supposed to lead. He's, the, he's Jesus in the relationship. And it's just so frustrating to see that brother just stuck. And then the only option the wife has is 1 Peter 3, is to love that, love her husband and submit to him with a quiet and gentle spirit. It's the only place in scripture where that's all she can do. But here's what I tell her. I go, hey, you just do that part and God will do the rest. Just let God do the rest. I had a brother during communion today, earlier service, come up to me and he said, hey, I just want to thank you. He just came out of the blue. I don't know why. He said, I want to thank you for the counsel you gave me and my wife. And I think it was like two, three years ago. They had a foster child 
that was just out of control. And they, and they signed it. And they, they, they're like, God, we signed up. We, we signed up to be a foster parent. And why is all this turmoil happening? And so what I, I think what I told him, he told me, he reminded me what I said. I guess what I said was, hey, God has asked you to be a foster parent. Then be the best foster parent you can according to the scripture and just, and just do that. And guess what? The responsibility is on God to do the rest. And it just freed him up. He just felt like free, like, okay, I'm just going to do just what God told me to do. And he's supposed to take care of the rest. And it's truly, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And, and he promises us that. So we got to take him up on that. And so being in a marriage, raising kids, you know, Again, stand on the, the solid rock of Jesus. Stand on his words. Because like I shared that last scripture, if you do his words, if you do it, you'll be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. If you don't do them, especially for 20 years, your house is going to fall and crumble. Your house is made on sand. And it's just, you're not going to last. So live God's word, do God's word. It's the, it's, it works. It totally works. I've been counseling for about probably about 12 years. I've seen, by just sharing the word of God and the gospel, I've seen divorce papers get plucked out of judges' hands. I've seen that. And marriage is restored. I've seen that. I've seen the word of God and its power and its majesty in marriages. And, and I will go toe-to-toe with anybody that would say, well, that doesn't work. Okay, I'll go toe-to-toe with you. So that was a long answer, sorry. Like, more like a sermon. Um, I'm going to wrap it up. Do you guys have any last words before we wrap it up or anything you want to add or say? Yes, Tammy. Um, our love will fail. God's love will never, ever fail. Do you have a mic? I want to hear you. Okay. <laughs> um, I said, uh, our love, human love will fail. Applying God's love it will never fail. Um, love also covers a multitude of sins. You just don't see them anymore. And you, and you want to cover also. That's not covering um, wrong things. I'm saying you want to cover and protect. So whether that's in your children, whether that's in your marriage, um, it just blesses, and it don't, you don't see the sin anymore. But that's always when you submit yourself to the truth of God's word and obey it. Yeah, but stepping outside that, it's very hard to see, and you get darkened, and, mm-hmm. then not, and it's not easy to see good things for you. So, Good yeah, word. Good word. I'm going to close this in prayer, and then I think we have tacos tonight. So, Jesus, thank you for being um, our husband and us, the church, your bride. And how you absolutely adore marriage and family. And as you have seen over the sea of humanity, on the day of creation, you said, when you finished creating, you said, it was very good. You looked over us and you saw us, even in our ugly state, you said it was very good. And Lord, thank you for claiming us as your own, adopting us into your family, loving us, Lord, um, 
sacrificing your entire body for your bride. And so, Lord, as we as couples, and, and I pray for the young um, folks in here that are, are going to launch into marriage, Lord, I, I pray that you would plant these seeds of hope, of, of this image of the gospel moving forward and marching forward to stop the erosion of this mountain. And Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would be um, magnified, and that the world would see that family is, is, is a wonderful gift, that marriage is a gift, and that we would be the deliverers, the messengers of that gift. And so, Lord, teach us that. Um, and we love you. I thank you for my beautiful wife and my, my family and my kids and all that you've blessed me with and continue to use them powerfully um, as they move forward in their lives. Uh, We love you. We praise you. Bless this food to our bodies. Thank you for Natasha and uh, the hands that prepared it. In your name, Jesus, amen.